0: looking at our world from a theological perspective. This is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Welcome, everyone. It is Tuesday, November the 30th, 2021. It is currently 5.46 p.m. Central Time. I'm coming to you live from the empty Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in Ovalo, Texas, where well, about an hour ago, maybe a little more than an hour ago, it was about 78 degrees outside. A beautiful November day in West Texas. Right now, it's 72 degrees. I was going to say a chilly 72 degrees. It just it's, it feels a little colder now. It, it felt very warm earlier, but I'm here in the sanctuary. The sun is rapidly setting. The earth is turning. You get the idea. The sun is going down. Another day is coming to an end here in West Texas. I hope wherever you are, whatever the weather may be, however you may be listening, I hope things are going well with you. You know what it's time for though. It's it's not time to talk about the weather. No, it's not time to talk about the earth turning. It's not time to talk about the sun going down. It is time to once again, turn your attention, my attention To Isaiah chapter 7. Now, before you get excited, I'm not going to be doing much teaching here. I'm just going to be trying to guide you once again and to say uh, to some specific things I want you to look for. Now, it, it, it is Tuesday. Hopefully, you've already been reading Isaiah chapter 7 over and over and over and over and over and over over again. And this is going to give you some very specific things to focus on. And hopefully, we'll even bring more things to light, bring in more questions, more ideas, more thoughts. But before we do anything else, I have to say this. Well, I have to do this. In fact, I'm just going to do this. I have to do this because I don't know what to say, guys, other than I am just absolutely blown away by the people participating in this Bible study exercise. So all I can say, all I can do is this. Yes, all I can do is applaud your work, your efforts. I was absolutely blown away by the things that was sent to me. Two uh, individuals, uh, specifically two individuals, they went all in. They I mean, they went to work. One, I love the way they did it because they gave observation, then interpretation, observation, then interpretation. Here's the observation from the text. Here's interpretation, which is exactly what I'm always uh, preaching. Uh, Everyone did a great job, looked up so much, asked so many questions, brought up so many issues. I mean, they did what a good Bible student is to do. You open the text, you dig in, and you're not afraid to ask the questions. You're not afraid to go, well, what about this? And what about this? And wait, wait, this says this. And just they just went in. They did what I really, really want people to do. And hopefully they have benefited greatly. Hopefully by the time they're done, they will be able to say, I understand Isaiah 7 better than I have ever understood it at any point in my study I hope that that turns out to be the case. I hope so. And then hopefully, if we ever turn back to Isaiah 7 again, we can even improve on our understanding that we've, that we, whatever understanding we come to in this study, hopefully, whatever time, whenever we study it again in the future, we can once again improve our understanding. Every time we study a chapter, hopefully, we can always improve what we've done on that chapter previously. Hopefully what I'm doing for Isaiah chapter seven this time is better than all the other times I've studied Isaiah chapter seven. It's God's word. We never rely on our past understanding. We don't want to allow our past understanding to blind us to, uh, well, increasing our understanding. Sometimes we'll take our past understanding and go, well, that's what the chapter means. That's what's there because that's what I saw last time. You got to forget what you saw last time and dig into the text anew each and every time that's the way you correct past misunderstanding that's how you discover new things that's how you realize things you may have missed realize things you may have overlooked that's the way we grow and that that's a principle that I just have to continue to just put out there but isaiah chapter 7 that is the chapter this week for the bible study exercise there's look i not in this episode maybe tomorrow maybe Thursday, I am going to take at least two of the emails and just literally walk through what was sent to me because they did such a great job that I think that it would be beneficial for everyone else to hear what was sent. And then I can offer thoughts and comments and and ask questions. I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to at least set aside some time to do that. And because of what was brought up in a number of these emails, well, you're going to get some additional homework. So if you if you don't like the homework, you can't blame me. You got to blame two individuals who, because of what they did, I'm like, well, you know what? They're, they're right. We, we've got to look at this. So hopefully this is all going to be beneficial and helpful to everyone. All right. Are you ready? Here, here's what I want you to do. Isaiah chapter 7. Part of me wants to just... Read. Well, I, I am. I'm just going to read at least down to the, to the, to, well, I'm going to read down to basically what we, I'm going to read what we've covered so far. There is one section that I'm going to really put an emphasis on that I may not read. Well, I may read it here. Who knows? I, I, what I really need to do is read all of chapter seven, all of chapter eight, but um, I'm just going to, I'll just read some of this and then try to get you started on, on what I need you to do. Uh, starting, well, this evening or tomorrow, whenever you get to this. All right, here we go. Let's start in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. Now, I could go back and start adding You know, trying to create an outline, but I'm I'm not going to do any of that right now. Um, And we've covered it multiple times so far. And it was told the house of David saying Syria is Confederate with Ephraim and his heart was moved and the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tells of the smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of resin with Syria and the son of Ramalia. All right, so take heed, be quiet, fear not and be, and neither be faint hearted. Right. Just a lot right there. I could start teaching on, but that's okay. All right. So basically God through Isaiah tells Ahaz, look, take heed, pay attention, be quiet, be calm, fear not, neither be faint hearted. If I said be faint hearted, I apologize. Neither be faint hearted. And, uh, you know, that I mean, there's just there's just so much there. He's facing a very difficult circumstance and God's message to him is calm down. Don't fear, take heed, pay attention. Don't be fainthearted. And he says, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against these saying, let us go up against Judah, vex it, let us make a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabial. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria, Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin, and within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. So it's a scary situation. There's no denying how bad the situation is and what they intend, but God is letting Ahaz know it's not going to come to pass. It's not going to happen. Just stay calm, remain calm. It's all going to be taken care of. Moreover, the Lord spoke again, spake again unto Ahaz saying, ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And we think that His that there's just a, a complete, it's a complete sham. It's a complete front. It's a complete, he's putting on a mask, pretending to be so super spiritual, but he's already got his solution. He already knows what he's going to attempt to do. He's already got an idea in how he's going to stand against this attack. He knows what he's going to do and he's going to pretend to be spiritual but it's nothing about being spiritual he wants to he wants to take care of it this way he doesn't want to wait on god doesn't want to rely on god's promises and uh, he may feel like those promises are too far out and he doesn't want to wait whatever the case may be he puts forth an air of spirituality to cover the fact that he's going to do it he wants to do it his way and that's what he attempts to do and he said he, and so then God responds, okay, you don't, you don't want a sign? You don't want to sign? You don't want to ask for a sign so that you know this is going to come to pass? You're basically refusing? Then he says, and he said, hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and to choose the good, the land that abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Right there, there's uh, I haven't thought about that. There's there's some things that we need to discuss. So I may I may have to uh, I may have to add another question that I want you to work on because now all of a sudden I just thought of something that I have not thought of before. But that's okay. I won't I won't share that. So there is the the situation. The concern, the fear, the the pretend to be spiritual, r- basically wearying God because he's not ultimately trusting in God. He's going to trust in himself, and God's like, "Okay, I'm going to give a sign, and that sign ultimately is something that's going to happen hundreds of years after this fact. Hundreds of years after this, we will be a son, will be born of a virgin, and his name will be called Emmanuel. That ultimately points to the coming of Christ." but there's a lot of historical things going on here that we have to understand that I think gives more impact to this story, and we've talked a lot about that. Then, verse 17 to 25, the Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost parts of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they shall come and shall rest of all of them in the desolate valleys and in the holes of the rocks and upon all thorns and upon all, all bushes. And in the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired namely by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it shall consume the beard. And it shall come to pass in that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep. And it shall come to pass for the abundance of milk, for they shall give He uh, and and, okay, let me read this again. And it shall come to pass for the abundance of milk that they shall give he shall eat butter, for butter and honey shall everyone eat that is left in the land. And verse 23, And it shall come to pass in that day that every place shall be where there was a thousand vines and at a thousand silverlings, it shall even be for briars and thorns. With arrows and with bows shall men come thither, because all the land shall become briars and thorns. And on the hills shall that shall be digged with the mattock there shall shall not come thither the fear of the briars and thorns but it shall be for the sending forth of oxen and for the treading of lesser cattle a lot of a lot of words very descriptive almost in a poetic way but all telling you what is coming telling them what is going to happen and there is a lot to unpack. And then from there, we go immediately into chapter 8. We go into chapter 8 and we read this. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write it with a man's pen concerning meher shall al-hashbaz. That's a mouthful right there. So the Lord says unto him, Take a great roll write with a man's pen concerning Mehar, mehar all Hashbaz. Well, that, that just just remember that. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jaber-Akiah. Je-ba, Jaber-Akiah. And I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son, Then said the Lord to me, call his name Mehar Shal-Al-Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. Wow, we've got a lot going on here. A lot there. Just, Just reading it, it's so wordy there's so much there you, you it's almost hard to read it and not try to stop for each phrase and try to describe it and talk it uh, take it apart i apologize for not reading it the best but you get the idea it's all right there chapter 7 verse 1 to chapter 8 at a, a minimum to chapter 8 verse 4 that that's really what i i want you to expand your reading this week to chapter 8 I'm just going to tell you to read all of chapter 8. So I want you to just read Isaiah 7 and Isaiah chapter 8. I want you to read both chapters because I'm going to give you plenty to do and to work on, all right? Remember, Bible study exercise. I do some teaching, some of this I'm just going to hand to you. So are you ready for some things you need to work on? Some of you have already started working on them, but that's okay. First thing I want you to do, I want you to compare the sons. I want you to compare the sons, and, you, and when I say sons, not S-U-N-S, S-O-N-S. I want you to compare the sons, okay? All right? Here is what I want you to do. I, why would you think it's S-U-N-S? I, I don't know. S-O-N-S, just to make sure that there's no question about what I'm referring to. Here's what I want you to do. In fact, you will find the sons. Look at 7, verse 3. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and R Jeshub, thy son, their son number one, son number one is Shear Jashub. Shear Jashub, who I want you to, in fact, make sure I've, I've got it written down, I think differently than it's actually, no, R Jashub, okay, I'll make sure, I, for some reason I think, I thought I was leaving out some things. Shear Jeshub, I want you to just write down, we've already worked on this, just the basic meaning of his name, anything else about him that you think is significant just, we're, we're going to compare different sons, and you'll see why, but the, the way we're going to compare them is just write down what you know about Shear or You can look him up, make sure you know the name. Anything else significant about him, write it down. Anything else, anything else that you think is significant, write him down, because it's just interesting that there's a son mentioned right there in seven three. Then the second son, you know the second one, Mentioned in 7.14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, there's you could start writing all the things you know about this son, Emmanuel, based off other passages of the Bible. Don't, don't do that. Just start with Emmanuel. What does his name mean? And then, what does the text say about this son in verse 15 and 16? All right, and verse 15 and 16. What does it say about this son in verse 15 and 16? Specifically, I want you to look at this. I didn't think about this, but all of a sudden it dawned on me. I want you to really think about this. All right, verse 15, we have butter and honey. Shall he eat that he may know to refuse evil and choose the good? All right, that that's gonna be pretty straightforward, but you, you can just at least write down Don't try to interpret what it means. Just you're going to compare the sons. You're going to compare Emmanuel to Shear Jeshub, right? I just want you to compare them because it's just interesting, a son and then a son. And then we're going to go to another, another son here in a minute. But here's what I want you to really pay attention to verse 16. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. That seems to be a very specific prophecy connected to the son Emmanuel, that before the child knows to refuse evil and choose good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. What is going to happen before the son, this son Emmanuel, uh, knows to refuse the evil before the sun knows to refuse the evil what takes place I want you to, to to identify what takes place and I want you to identify did it take place when did it take place who was involved how did it happen it's very very important all right because because we're identifying this right that something has to happen so if you're going to say well this this points to another son that, that emmanuel there that promise of emmanuel that's not that's not speaking of jesus or it's speaking of jesus but it's also speaking of another son well this other son that you think may possibly being being referred to here in this prophecy in isaiah 7:14 well when you look at that son did that did that happen mentioned in verse 16 if you're going to identify another person, say, no, no, that, 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 that's got to be a partial fulfillment. Well, if it's going to be a partial fulfillment, well, before that child, whichever child you're going to point to, before they knew uh, to refuse evil, well, the land that thou abhorrest has to be, uh, shall be forsaken of both her kings. What, what land is abhorred there and what two kings? And did that happen? I think that's a very important part of the prophecy that a lot of times I've not given much thought to or I have overlooked. So I want you to write down basically what you can look learn about Shear right? Na- meaning of the name, anything else you think is interesting. Uh, then I want you to look up Emmanuel, what's the meaning of the name, and then don't, don't go anywhere else. Just what is said about Emmanuel right here in verse 15 and 16. Just write out what, just the observation, and then that thing that's supposed to happen—that the land that thou abhorrest before the child knows to refuse evil, what ha, what what has to take place? That's connected to Emmanuel. That's that is connected. Here's what we know about Emmanuel: before he knows to refuse evil, this will happen. Did it happen? When did it happen? Who was involved in making it happen? I want you to be very specific. I want you to look that up. Then we know the third son, chapter eight, verse one. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write in it, uh, in it with a man's pen concerning Mehar Shall Al Hashbaz. And then note verse three. I went, I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. All right, So here's the third one, Mehar uh, Shall Al Hashbaz. I want you to what? What does that name mean? What does that mean? What do we know about this person? So we got three, and please note, three different times, it clearly says the son, the son, all right? So you've got Shear uh, Jashub, Emmanuel, Mehar Shal Al-Hashbaz. Compare all three, just compare all three. And the reason why is some people believe Mehar Shal Al-Hashbaz is a historical fulfillment, of Isaiah 7:14 that that if it points to Christ there was also a historical fulfillment and that child was it does that work because for Mehar, Mehar shall Ahashbaz to 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 make fulfill this prophecy in any way shape or form you would think at a minimum that before he knows to before he knows to refuse evil that the land that the the uh, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both of her kings did that take place when was uh, mehar shal ahashbaz born that i want you to just i want you to compare the three sons i just want you to compare them look even if you say well it doesn't help me interpret anything it doesn't help me understand anything even if that's your conclusion one of the major aspects of bible study sometimes it's just doing observation, observation, observation. And sometimes you may spend two hours working on observation, and when you're done, you don't really know what to do with it. It may not even help you in your interpretation, but guess what it helps you with? No one can ever come along and say anything, like when you've spent all of this time comparing these three sons, Shear, Jeshub, Emmanuel, Mehar, Shal, Al-Hashbaz. By the time you're done, no one will ever be able to say anything about them. That's not true because you've observed all the facts there is to know about them. And observation protects you from manipulation. So spend the time, know everything about them. All right. Okay. Everybody good there? Now, the next thing I want you to do, I want you to work on, uh, for any reason, if I've said Hebrews, I don't know why all of a sudden my mind thinks I said Hebrews, but, and I, the next thing I want you to work on is Isaiah chapter seven, verses 17 through 25. Isaiah 7, 17 through 25, and I want you to figure out when did this occur? When did it happen? Who was involved? How did it happen? How many details do we have about it? And how many of those details fit very nicely with what is described in Isaiah 7, 17 through 25? I want you to do extra work on this. Now, one of the things you can do to make it easy for you is look up Ahaz and a Bible dictionary, read everything you can about Ahaz, and I think you will get close to knowing what happened in seven seventeen 17 uh, to 25. I think you're, you're going to get close, and you're probably going to end up finding the following name, all right? All right, I'm going to uh, spell it for you. In fact, did I, did I spell it correctly? Let me see here. I got to look up in a Bible dictionary because now I'm worried I didn't spell it. Okay, no, I, I did. All right, I'm gonna spell it for you, right? T-I-G-L-A-T-H Tiglath. Okay, that's the first part of the name. Tiglath. P-I-L-E-S-E-R. P-I-L-E-S-E-R. Tiglath Polizer the third. Tiglath Polizer the Third. I want you to look up everything you can about Tiglath Polizer the third and and, and determine. Did Tiglath Pileser be? Is he the one that brought about the fulfillment of Isaiah seven seventeen through twenty five? In other words, was he the one that was ultimately the human instrument to bring all of those things about uh, 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 to pass? And does it fulfill it perfectly, or is it pointing to something else completely different? All right. So, assignment number one: compare the sons. Shear Jashub, Emmanuel. Mehar shall alhashbaz. All right, make sure you compare them, know everything about them, right, and anything that's interesting, all right? Because again, some people say Mehar shall alhashbaz is well. See Isaiah seven fourteen. If that was if it was going to be a sign and have anything to do with Ahaz, it has to be a son born somewhere around there. Well, there's one that's born. Does does that does that fit? What is what does Mehar shall alhashbaz? What does his name mean? Everything you can find out about him, all right? Then I want you to work on 7, 17 to 25. What is the fulfillment of that? Is it Tiglath-Pileser third? Is it? Is it? If it is, and here's what I want you to do. Look up everything you can about Tiglath-Pileser. Now, one of the ways you can look up everything you can find about Ahaz, which is probably you're going to find a reference to Tiglath-Pileser, and then look up Tiglath-Pileser, and then look at everything that you can and go, yep, that there's the fulfillment. There is the fulfillment there. And if Tiglath-Pileser and his actions are recorded somewhere else in scripture, make sure you write down those cross references, which, well, you'll you'll see. You'll see. I'm not trying to give too much away here. Right? So compare the sons. Work on the fulfillment of seven, uh, seven, seven, chapter seven, verses 17 to 25. Look up Tiglath-Pileser and write out at least a basic summary of who he was, what he did, And you can see, is it a fulfillment? And then I just want you to answer this question. You can do pretty much a a simple yes or no. Is the child born in chapter eight, verses one through three, in any way, shape, or form a fulfillment of 714? After you compare the three sons, ask yourself, is this any way, shape, or form a fulfillment? Any way, shape, or form, is this a fulfillment? Now you say, but no, no, it's not that son. It's, It's this son. That's the son who did it. Okay, if you've got another son, if you've got another person that's born at a specific time that you think they are the fulfillment, that's fine. We'll get to that. Right now, we're just, remember, we're working on the text in front of us. That's what we are working on, all right? So, compare the sons, compare the sons, Look for the fulfillment of 7, 17 through 25, and as you're working on the sons, comparing the sons, remember, as you're working on Emmanuel, you're going to have to work on what happens in 7, 16, um, and because that has to happen before Emmanuel can know uh, to to refuse evil, so you're going to have to figure out how that was fulfilled as well, but I'll just leave it under Emmanuel because I've already explained that to you. All right, the fulfillment of 7, 17 through 25, look up tiglath Pileser and just whatever you can find out about him. And then answer the question, is the child born in chapter eight, verses one through three, in any way a fulfillment of 714? And then this is what I really want you to think about. This has, what I'm about to ask you to do here has profound impact on the hermeneutic you will utilize through the rest of Isaiah. And you may not think this is important, but if you've ever read, I would challenge you, buy you or you can download for, I think it's free online as well. Get you a copy of Matthew Henry's commentary, right? Famous, famous, famous commentary recommended by everyone. I had Matthew Henry commentary recommended to me by a pastor in an Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. Uh, but man, when, he, when you get into Isaiah and the prophets, over and over and over, Matthew Henry will see prophecies in Isaiah And in some cases, it will say that was a prophecy. It was literally fulfilled. And then there'll be all of these other prophecies, specifically things related to Israel and some kind of future restoration or salvation of Israel. And guess what? All of a sudden, it's not literal. All of a sudden, it's spiritual. All of a sudden, it's not the nation of Israel. It's the church. It's going to be fulfilled in the church. And you're like, wait, how did how did you do this? This is why this is so important. I want you to look at all of these prophecies, right? You've got, we've got the prophecy um, of Emmanuel being born, right? Was that fulfilled literally? I think we would all say yes. A child was literally born of a virgin and called Emmanuel, God with us. That was literally fulfilled. Okay, well, that was literally fulfilled, all right? Was it literally fulfilled that Ephraim uh, would... uh, you see where is it uh, that in 3 score and 5 years Ephraim would be broken. Did that literally happen? You say well that literally happened. Okay. That literally happened. Ephraim was broken. Emmanuel was born. Are those literal things that happened? What did it literally happen that before Emmanuel knew to refuse evil that the land which you had abhorred uh, for uh, shall be forsaken of both her kings? Did that happen? Uh, Isaiah 7, 17 through 25. How was that fulfilled? Was it literally fulfilled? Even though it's using very descriptive and poetic language, was it a literal fulfillment? You say, Well, it's literally fulfilled. An army came in and did these exact things. Okay, then a literal fulfillment. Um, I uh Isaiah chapter 8, verse 3. Well, uh, well, I mean, har shall al Hashbaz in, in a roundabout way was that. You could say, was that prop- Was that a literal son born? And you can say, yes, it was a literal son born. Now, if all of these things are literal, 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 right? Then I want you to just, just overemphasize that in your mind so that whenever you're reading anything else in Isaiah and you're like, wait a minute, that's a prophecy to Israel. That's never happened. Well, okay, well, okay, it's never going to happen literally. It's spiritual. What gives you the right to change how you're interpreting the book if over and over and over prophecy after prophecy is literal, 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 literal. So I want you to, I want you to write down how you see the prophecies are being fulfilled, literal or spiritually. If you say literally, then that, that to me is setting up a hermeneutic that you're going to have to be consistent with as you make it through the rest of Isaiah. You may not see the significance of this. Let me just explain. Here's where this comes into play. If you hold to a, a, an eschatology that would be more in line with all you're going to be very prone to say, oh, wait, that that's not the, that's not Israel. That's the church. That's not Israel getting land. That's the church great, gaining prominence and, and influence. Like you're going to do this over and over as someone who, who used to be very strong in the all camp. I know exactly how this game is played. I've done it. But at some point I started going, wait a minute, wait a minute if everything else here is fulfilled literally, why wouldn't these be fulfilled literally? Which then started changing my eschatology little by little by little. But don't take my word for it. You look at these prophecies in chapter 7, chapter 8, or were these literally fulfilled? Well, they were literally fulfilled. I mean, just take, did a virgin bear a son who's called Emmanuel? And you say, well, that was literal. Well, then, that's establishing how you interpret the prophecies of Isaiah. All right. So there are is there are your assignments. Compare the sons: She'ar Jeshub, Emmanuel, Mehar Shal al-Hashbaz. I should just get uh, I'm probably saying them incorrectly, but if I am saying them anywhere close to correct, I should get like a dollar just, just for that. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. No, I'm, I'm I'm saying that because uh, I'm just being honest. Those, I mean, those, those, those are mouthful, so we can be honest with it. We can we can, you know, we don't have to pretend to be smarter than we are. All right. Then we have um, uh, so compare the sons. Then I want you to work on the fulfillment of seven seventeen through twenty five. And just remember, when I say compare the sons, when you're looking at Emmanuel, I've got to stress this. Don't forget how was seven sixteen fulfilled. So let's do it this way. I'm just going to add it. So because someone's going to overlook it and say, well, you didn't make it clear. I'm going to make it very painfully clear here. You ready? Compare the sons. All right? Compare the sons. Shear Jeshub, Emmanuel, Mehar Shal al-Hashbaz. Compare the sons. Then I want you to answer, how was 716 fulfilled? Who, when, where, everything about it. I want you, how was it fulfilled? Identify it. I want you to send it to me. I want you I want you to show me, no, this is when it was fulfilled. Here's where I got the information. Here is the text of scripture. Here's the dictionary, whatever, all right? And, and I want you to, to determine if there's agreement on the fulfillment of that or disagreement. Very important, right? Then I want you to find the fulfillment of 7, 17 through 25. What's the fulfillment of that? When did it occur? How did it occur? I want you to look up Tiglath-Pileser to see if he, the third, if he was involved in fulfilling it in any way, shape, or form. Is he the right person to look for as the person involved in fulfilling this? I want you to ask the question or answer the question, is the child born in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, in any way of fulfillment of 714? And then I want you to, to answer, how are the prophecies being fulfilled? Literal or spiritual? And if you say literal, you've now, you, not me, You've established the hermeneutic that you have to use through the rest of the book, or you're going to end up being inconsistent. There you have it. Oh, there's so much more I want to do. So much I want to do. I want to give you some practical, like I want to do some preaching here, but I can't. I can't. I can't. And it's, oh yeah, I don't. I ah. Stop! Stop! Okay, I'm, I'm trying to stop myself because I I feel like I'm ripping you off here. I feel like I'm ripping you up. But remember, these Bible study exercises—the way this is supposed to be done—it's it, it, to get you from you know off the couch. It's to get you from just listening to to actually participating. But again, I want to thank the two two specific individuals. They know who they are. I almost want to say their name. Man, y'all knocked it out of the ballpark. It was like, I mean, th- I pitched the ball and. Man, you crushed it! It's gone. It left the ballpark. It left the the city, the county, the state, the country. You killed it. It was amazing. I was blown away. Of all the Bible study exercises, no one has gone in that that d- in depth and done that much. It was awesome, awesome, awesome. So thank you so very much. Not only for participating, but um, it just, it just doing. I, I well. It, it it helps me because I was, I was reading through this. I was like, whoa, they've done a better job than I could have done. But not only does it help me and challenges me and helps, you know, hopefully make me a better student and learn more. Hopefully though, honestly, by working on it the way you guys did that you were like, wow, I, I think I really got this chapter down. And I'm telling you, you just, you don't listen. Don't, you don't believe me. You start. You start going from every church you can find on the internet, waiting for them to preach a sermon on Isaiah 7 and see how they handle the text. You'll be more prepared, and I, and it's not to make you arrogant or conceited. I don't want that. But you will—what I want you to see is the practical value of doing what you've done. You listen to these sermons, you're going to be like, wait, What? That's not true. That's you'll be able to determine immediately when the text is not being handled correctly. Now you can then get all proud of yourself and go, "I know more than twenty preachers." Don't do that. What you need to do is be humbled and say, "Thank you, Lord, for helping me learn, so that I cannot be manipulated and I can detect when the text is not being handled correctly." Don't don't become arrogant and puffed up like you can walk around now, correct everyone. It's not about that you can correct everyone. It's about you are protected so you're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and no one's manipulation can impact you. Don't view it as the way when I was young, I viewed it as, oh, see, now I can correct that preacher. I can correct that preacher. I can correct that preacher. I'm smarter than all of them. I fell into that trap. Now I'm like, you know what? It's not about me being smarter than anybody else. It's thank God that I am now protected from any manipulation, and I can go, that's not what the text means. That's not what the text means. Now, yes, sometimes with that knowledge comes a responsibility to try to correct people when they mishandle the text. You've got to know when to do so, how to do so, and you got to make sure you're doing it because you care about the text and you don't care about just making yourself look smart or look better. That's always important as well. So, But I want you to just see the protection that you've gained when other people are going around quoting Isaiah seven fourteen for the Advent Christmas season, you can be like, well, wait a minute. There's a lot there you just completely conveniently left out or completely ignored. The bottom line, we want to have a correct understanding of it. And we've got to correct this. Pr- we've got to understand this prophecy for the birth of Christ. Somehow, in light of the historical context, it's got to mean something like you look at everything that was going on. It's got to reflect something like it's got to give us some greater understanding of Emmanuel being born. I just think there's too many. It, it just there's too much going on there. You've got kings. You've got war. You've got people trying to be overthrown. You've got sons whose names mean different things somewhere in the midst of all of that. There's got to be there's a spiritual lesson in all of it. There, and I don't want to turn into typology. I'm not doing that, but I'm just saying there's, it's just, there's something interesting about the entire setting. And that setting has to make what, has to give us a greater understanding of what Jesus did by coming to be born of a virgin, Emmanuel, God with us. And I think there's, there's some lessons to be learned here. All right. I'm going to stop right there. I'll say, I want, I want to start preaching. Uh, I want to start preaching. Yeah, just like one of the emails, I just loved how it says, uh, I love how it says, it says, verse 1-2, text observation. When Ahaz was king, two kings of Aram and Pekah went to fight Jerusalem but couldn't win. When the house of David was told, they were afraid. Verse 1, interpretation. It seems there were two kingdoms at the time, the southern kingdom, the line of David, Judah, and the northern kingdom, the rest of Israel. The split, according to Rabbi Singer, was because Solomon's son, approximately Two thousand nine hundred years ago, refused to lower the high taxes and imposed by his father, and the remnant and a remnant remained with the line of David. At the point in the narrative, the north aligned with Syria was seeking to overthrow the south aligned with Syria. Ahaz was very evil and not like his father. See, just I mean, it's just that's just such good stuff right there. I I, I want to just go through all of it with you, but uh, yeah, that's people doing work, and I like the fact that they've got. Observation, interpretation, awesome. And I've got I got the other email here as well. There's just so much good stuff. It, yeah, I've got it all copied in my uh, notes, and we'll we'll work through that together because I think that will just put it all back together. Um, someone was worried that I think I got an email. Of someone saying, you know, man, you're gonna. We only got a week. No, 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 no. Remember, one, we, we're a week ahead in some ways. We're, we we kind of we kind of are a week ahead. I get well. Technically, I don't know if we're a week ahead or not. You know what? We're not going to worry about that. What we're going to worry is about making sure that everyone understands Isaiah 7 and 8. And if you there's something else you don't understand or something you're struggling with, we are going to make time for it. That's what I can promise you. Right. So there you have it. There's your work. There's your assignments. If you need to repeat any of those, you email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I know the curriculum is going to spend more time in Matthew 1. By all means, look at it, Uh, but our focus is Isaiah 7 and 8, and the reason is because I think everyone's just like, look, Isaiah 7, 14. Look, there's the prophecy, and everybody just ignores all of the historical context, and when I say everyone, that's a general statement. Obviously, there's many churches and pastors who do a great job, but even in some of those Sometimes what they do, they do a great job, but they just kind of like, okay, here, guys, here's basically what's going on. All right, now here's the prophecy about Jesus. Let's get to Jesus. Now, I understand we want to get to the prophecy of Jesus, but I want to, I just think that that prophecy is better understood when we we, we connect it somehow to the historical setting in which it took place. What, in other words, what what can we learn from the historical setting that makes the prophecy of Jesus even more powerful and meaningful for us This Christmas 2021, that is what I hope we can accomplish and see if we can pull that off. All right, I'll stop right there. Email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Oh, there's so much more I wanted to do this evening, but we're going to have to stop. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard doing the Bible study exercise. (laughs) It really is, but uh, I hope you're uh, benefiting from it. All right, everyone have a great evening, great uh, night. And uh, I'm going to head home. So thanks for listening. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. Don't know. But you you probably know there's going to be some, some live broadcasting happening somewhere tomorrow. So just tune in. We do need to get back over to uh, Podbean to do some live broadcasting. I'll probably try to do one tomorrow. But since I was just going to do more assignment giving than teaching, I thought I would leave that here. And then tomorrow I'll try to find uh, something that we can do on Podbean that will be more fits better with what we're trying to do there. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening. God bless.